When we're innovating, we are almost always acting on partial information. It's a high-risk, high-reward environment. It's essential to make decisions quickly while taking the appropriate and well-considered risks. If we wait too long, we lose our edge. If we move too fast or take risks that we really can't afford, we could fall into costly, if not deadly, pitfalls. I'm Jason Gore, and I'm here with executive coach Robert McNaughton. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, you know, you and I have talked previously about having a bias for action and being able to move quickly, but we all know that you can't just shoot from the hip all the time, that as the leader of a company, um, that there are significant costs if we don't make the right decisions. So learning how to balance that appropriately is truly an art form. It is. The art of decision making is, I think, really hard to teach because it you look at the different factors, right? First of all, it's just cognitive capacity to look at a lot of different factors and how they interplay and guess at what the future can hold, what, how people will react to things. Um, there's also risk tolerances. Like people have different risk tolerances and different functional groups have different risk tolerances. You know, your marketing director is going to have a very risk tolerant tolerance than your attorney. Um, right. You know, and then there's a, the whole intuition piece, right? Where it's like beyond the cognitive. It's like, are you connected into something that allows you to see and predict in a more fruitful way than other people? Um, and it's a very, very complex art. I have a one client, one CEO who basically says, I have this amazing person. They just make the wrong decisions all the time. <laughs> and he's like, I can't have them in a leadership role right. when they're making the wrong decisions. They need to be right more often. Right. It, and it's really hard to teach. Yeah, this is definitely one of those areas where wisdom and experience to being a seasoned leader is in often cases what it takes to be able to intuitively know when to make decisions in the right ways. But there are nuances that we can learn uh, along the path that can help us balance from making decisions too fast without the right information or getting into decision paralysis. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting to me is that when we think back to history, our personal history with our companies, with our lives, or even in the media, bad decisions get a lot of attention. For sure. And I think we should spend some time talking about that. The amazing, great decisions, the one people that, you know, thread the needle, they also get some attention. But the vast majority of decisions don't fall into those camps. Um, they're just the decisions that you're plodding along and you have a little left turn and right turn and you make that call and then you have another left turn and right turn. And it's, when you look at decision-making, it's a long series of decisions that get you somewhere. And those are the day-to-day the -day decisions that just don't get a lot of attention. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, let me share a story. So there was a startup they were uh, they they just done a seed round. They were moving to the A round, and they were launching a consumer good and a, and a platform. Um, and they the software wasn't ready, right? And so they really focused on some of the product explanations and the details. Uh, customer service was really worried about what it was going to look like um, to have something's not working well. And so they spent a lot of time focusing on fixing kind of the product communication. And when they launched, it turns out that their, the interface with the credit card processing was flawed. And someone was scraping off credit card numbers. Hmm. Um, and essentially what happened was 
they closed down. They basically it got to the place where the credit card company is saying you can no longer sell product. If you do, you, Mr. CEO, is, are, is personally liable, not just a company thing. And so he had really no choice but to stop sales. Um, and so it was just the wrong risk, right? They, they put their attention on the wrong thing. They were trying to move too fast. And, you know, it's like, how do we correct for those things? Right. They find the appropriate risk. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the, the, the ready fire aim kind of methodology around this is like has arguable benefits and as a skill set to be able to, you know, to, to shoot from the hip and to be able to make decisions uh, effectively and quickly. But we all know the costs of when leaders aren't doing this well because they're on the media and we see them when there's significant uh, recalls in products and in your example here, you know, it can destroy a brand completely. Not to mention, like, if we're not, if we're rushing something through, we, we have a deadline for a product launch, we're making decisions too quickly, we're not thinking of the, the externalities, the, the implications, there can be ethical, environmental side effects, which can not only have the business fail, but destroy reputations of all the people working for you. The costs are not hard to see if you're, if you're not knowing how to make decisions correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it is interesting. This, I'm glad you bring up this, you know, ready, aim, fire. Um, and I think there's, it's appropriate. In the startup world, you know, we have to move fast. And I think it's not about eliminating some uh, of the ready and aim. I think it's really about shortening the, the first few processes, but still doing them. Sure. Well, and also being able to, to make decisions quickly that don't have significant consequences if you have to undo them. There are ways to rapid prototype, to release something to market in a way that you can be getting good data back from how it hits the market. Mm -hmm. uh, you can be getting good data back from how it affects the other people in your company if you're making a, a new policy change and yep. be able to switch it back without incurring great costs. Yeah, and when we do have to make a, a leap of faith you know we have to choose between a and b do we market on this platform and th this platform and it's going to impact you know things for months if not years to come um to do the best we can to think through what you're talking about is what is our fallback position is and just at least have a plan for that and if we don't have a plan understand the consequences of this decision yes and if it's high consequence maybe we slow down a little bit and if it's low con consequence, actually, maybe we speed as fast as we can to the wall to see what happens. Yeah. Well, you know, if we're unpacking, like, what, what gets in the way of, you know, the good art of decision making, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of common sense experiences that many of us have of, you know, if we're not making decisions quickly, we're following into that analysis paralysis. Like if we're onboarding a new e-commerce system and we've got the, the committee or committees, you know, analyzing a half a dozen different solutions and getting so far down the road of processing every eventuality that we're, we're burning fuel before we actually are able to, to get something going, as opposed to working with those, uh, with those teams to see what we can start implementing sooner. Mm -hmm. You know, it is in interesting to talk about the art of decision-making and the cost of when this is not done well. Um, 
I don't know. This story just popped in my head, Robert. So uh, a friend of ours, I, I won't mention his name here, um, was in the Vietnam War. And he was a, the, one of the two leaders of a uh, advanced artillery platform. So they, you know, helicopters come in, drop a bunch of, of cannons on, and artillery on top of a hill and leave. And there's a whole bunch of things that have to happen, but then they basically, you know, are firing, you know, at the enemy from inside of enemy line, behind right. enemy lines. Anyway, so he, he, he gets to a shift one day and the previous leader, um, I don't remember all their titles, but this is in the army, um, basically passes him. He says, hey, these are ready to go. And he calls the fire command and it turns out that it was, he fired on his own people mm. um, and fired in the wrong direction. And, you know, there's this sense of trust, but verify. That's right. It's a terminology that gets used in some of the services where like you trust, but you verify. Yeah. Right. And I think that this is where it's like intuition really is helpful. Like trust your intuition, but then also check the facts. Right. That's the, uh, <laughs> the old uh, have faith in God, but tie up your camel. Yeah, exactly. And I, mean, I think that's what we're getting at inside of this practice. It's a both and situation. There's no, you know, there's no silver bullet here. It's threading the needle between all these things to get to a place where you take the appropriate risks. And, and think, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's a great example, Jason, because it's, it's, it's when we're not trusting our decision making that we're not bringing a, a relaxed yet alert mindset to the situation that our anxiety will get in the way of actually paying attention to the information that we need to make the right decision. And this is what naturally comes up with seasoned leaders that have been through it all. They've paid the costs. They know what it looks like. So they can, they, they know how to bring a calm uh, alertness to the decision-making process that allows them to seem like they're shooting from the hip because they're, they're doing so quickly without hesitation, but they're actually just paying attention to all the necessary signals that they have access to. Totally. You know, and if you move too slowly, if you can't do that, you end up in kind of decision paralysis or not trusting yourself. And that's going to also show up. You know, I, my sense is that if you understand what information you would like to have, you can't get that information. You understand everybody's opinions around the room, at least at some level. You understand the risks that you're taking on and you've thought through what will happen if, if those negative things play out. And you've just kind of gotten a sense of the field and you make a high risk decision inside of that and it goes wrong. Like that's appropriate. And plus you're prepared to handle that risk and you already know what you're going to do if that risk comes up. Yes. Um, those seem like appropriate risks to take. Yes. And I think that's really, um, you know, w one of the nuts and bolts skill sets we can work with here to do this is even if we're making decisions quickly, we can make sure we're including all the right people in it. And I, I remember when I was running my business, when I was having to make decisions on the fly, I would always use advice process. I would, I would, you know, let people know that these were the options that I was considering. I would, you know, get as much feedback as I could. And so then when I would still say, it's like, okay, here's what I'm going with. I'm making the decision now. We were still doing it as a team. It yeah. wasn't like Robert against, you know, everybody else's opinions, even though everybody didn't agree with my decision, we still felt like we were all moving in it together. We all knew why we were doing it and we all had enough time to kind of simulate the consequences and therefore be prepared. 
Yep. Now, the other end of that spectrum is it does take some time for people to get there. And a decision process can go on and on. And I mean, I think we all hate those topics that keep on coming up over and over again and don't get resolved. Yes. Like when there just isn't a great decision um, to make. And so we don't want to make a decision. I think that's the wrong reason for prolonging a decision, right? It's like if, if something is going to change, if we're going to actually have more information next week, great, then let's get that information. And we, we know we're moving the ball down the field. But there is t- comes a time where we just have to make a call. Um, right. And so in your, in your example, Robert, I think a great way, and you probably did this, is to say, hey, we're making this decision today. That's like, right. right. You time bound it so that everybody knows that, okay, one way or the other, we're going to make a decision. We know who the decision maker is. Exactly. And we're going to do as much as we can to get all the information, all the data, and make the best decision possible. Yes. Yeah. I, like I'm making this decision like when I leave the room, you know, and so let's, let's, let's get all the information on the table now. So I've got what I need. Right. And, you know, it's also leaders that I see do this really well, you know, know how to rapid prototype, know how to make small commitments that allow for momentum to move forward, but don't create so much uh, that the consequences of undoing it are, are unaffordable. You know, and, and I think they also know the right risks to take. You know, I believe that when two executives have different opinions, let's say that there's a yes, no decision, a launch, no launch, and you get one yes, one no, almost always it comes down to different risk assessments. And at the end of the day, it's a really appropriate time to escalate to the CEO. If you have two smart people, they just have different risk tolerances or different assessments of what that will cost. Like the, there's only, only only one person at the end of the day that can make that decision if it's if it's a high cost decision, and that's going to be the CEO or the board, um, depending on the structure of how decisions get made. Yes. And then I think it's really on that group of people, the CEO or the board, to say, "Hey, this is why we're taking on this risk," yeah. and really communicate so that future decisions and everybody understands like why we're doing something, so that not only can they support it, but they can start to see the lens through which the executive executive is, is, is operating. Yes. Right? Like if we continue this way, we're going to die a slow death. So we're going to go this way and either we're going to, you know, shoot the moon and get there or we're going to die quickly, but we have a chance. Yeah. Um, and like understanding how the CEO sees the world can really influence how a company operates. I can remember many times when I was confronting a, um, a product or it would often happen with event launches, uh, conference launches, where the, the go, no go deadline would come around and the numbers, you know, were in a, it reading in a particular way and where a lot of people on my staff wanted to punt and, you know, move the date of the launch or the event. Mm-hmm. And I, as the CEO said, you know what? No, I want, I want to keep this. Um, I, you know, I believe that I can... I can hustle with the right people as needed and there might just be more energy that we're not seeing yet come through. But as the CEO, I was a, I, I know what I'm getting myself into. It's my responsibility to track the greater costs of these things. So I'm able to do that where it makes sense that the others were wanting to do, to take more of a safe approach. And mm-hmm. as I, I took those risks, those events ended up going off great because we, we were able to marshal the necessary energy to make it happen. Yep. You know, this reminds me, I was doing a mountain flying class, you know, I'm an aviator. And um, the, the instructor basically said, like, 
the number one cause of death in his book, like in, in the situation that we're talking about, was trying to save something. So like if you're going to crash and then you try to save and you stall at 30 feet because you're trying to get to a better landing spot and make, make it, you know, save the airplane. He's like, no, like run right between two trees, take off both wings, right? And save yourself. Don't try to save the airplane. Like to understand like, okay, what are we, what are the risk tolerances here? And like, that's kind of funny to think about like, okay, like I could either survive this with a perfectly good airplane or I could walk away and intentionally destroy the airplane. Like it's hard to make that decision in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you've been there, unless you've made decisions like this. And frankly, this is, you know, where growth hierarchies, healthy hierarchies exist is people have been seasoned. They've, they've gone through tours of duty in various places and that these are the people that in, in some cases you want in decision-making authority positions that can on the fly know where to make a trade-off call that seems catastrophic to some people that are just getting into this domain, but from their perspective, it's actually the trade-off is, is biasing the, the, the right thing that they want to. Yep. I'll share one more story. This is very much happening for me live, you know, this week. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a client that they're doing a product launch. Um, it's a technology company with a product, uh, a product that's an outlier from the, from the technology. And um, the technology launch, is, the product launch is not going that well. And the original thesis about who is going to buy this product is wrong. And so they're changing it up. And, you know, two-thirds of the employees of this company are on the commercial side of it, are on the product side of it. And essentially, uh, they all want to delay the launch. And the CEO is actually pushing them to launch sooner. And the, the thought is, look, if we're going to crash and die, great, let's do it fast. And then if I need to, frankly, I'm going to fire two-thirds of the company and we, you know, fall back into the technology and find a new approach. But, but sure. he does not want to go down, take the ship down if the product launch fails. And every, all his other team leaders, which are two-thirds of the company, they want to do it right. They want to give it a chance. Yes. But they're not holding the larger picture in mind. Exactly. Um, exactly. That's a really good example. You know, the, the, the big things that I, I want to say in relationship to this practice, like if you're going to like look for next steps and how well you're doing this is really look to see if who is making the decisions is clear. If the roles, uh, there's clear role authority within the right domains, especially within the high consequence domains, and then make sure that the right people are filling those roles. Make sure <laughs> those people are the type of people that, that have the experience of making high consequence decisions and they also have the ability to make decisions inclusively and are, are, are letting people know how they're doing it. And I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, a management team from seed to IPO is going to change over three times on average, right? It's because at the, at the seed level, you need high risk people, That's right? right? When you're moving to the DE rounds, moving to an IPO, those high risk people are generally no longer, going to be satisfied <laughs> or entertained, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a different, we have a different level of risk tolerance and that's changing as the company grows. That's right. Um, so, you know, we've, we've touched on a lot here, Robert, and it's, I wish there was, you know, as you said earlier, like a silver bullet of decision-making, um, you know, it's hard to tell, you know, a leader, 
just be right more often. That's right. Yeah. Um, but what we can say is, you know, take well-considered risks, think through things like do your homework, do it quickly, um, touch in, get everybody's opinions, get, uh, find out why people are thinking what they're thinking. And when it's time to make a decision, like even if it's a tough decision, don't delay. Like that's the time to have a bias for action, take the appropriate and well-considered risks and move forward tracking what your fallback position is all at the same time. It's pretty complex stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Get everybody on board. Make sure we all, we're all in this together. Even if we, you know, we're not, it's not a consensus here. Like we're all in this together. We're, we're going in this. And so that way we can all manage and work through it together. We're not, at least we're not going in divisive. Mm -hmm. When I entered the business world, I, I chose not to become a doctor or a lawyer because in those environments, mistakes can cost you your career. Yeah. In the business environment, mistakes are learning, right? That you really learn from your mistakes and you're more valuable as a result. Now, you know, a CEO who's failed three times in a row is going to have a tough time raising money for a fourth company or not. Like, we don't know. It's all about how good their story is. But the thing here is the business environment requires risk-taking. For sure. And requires making good and timely decisions. And so I just want to end with this note of, you know, learn from your decision-making path. Learn from when the decision went awry. And even when the decision went well, what could you have done better? And if you're learning and throughout your whole career, you will make better and more timely decisions. This is a, a really important uh, and exciting area to explore, Jason. Thanks for unpacking this with me today. Um, and to all the leaders out there, you know, this recording may be not as clear as some of the others. Uh, you know, it's a little more convoluted with a lot of different factors, but we hope this conversation has been helpful.